I'm Austin Riley Miller, and you're listening to Unfurled, the story of our flags. Last episode, I told the story of the Danbrog, which is the oldest national flag. Simple in design, the Nordic cross depicted on it has been the father of many flags throughout Northern Europe and beyond. It's easy to see the connection between these flags. Most of them have the exact same design, just with different colors. The cross appears in all the Nordic countries, hence its name, Nordic cross. But vexillologists use the term for flags outside of this area with similar designs as well. But back to the Danbrog. It's peculiar to me. The flag has endured for a very unusual amount of time. Considered the national flag sometime after 1219, and having been used as a naval ensign and as a military flag over the centuries that followed, this flag has a really long history. It's been in use for just over 800 years now. In comparison, the flag of Canada has only been flying for 55 years. Most flags throughout the world, actually, were adopted within the last 200 years, and most all of them have been changed in some way or another within the last 100 years. The Danbrog is weird because it's old, and it hasn't changed. The only thing that could possibly be considered as a change happened in 1893, when its proportions were formalized. That's it. Besides that, it's been the same. Now, it makes sense that as nations rise and fall, they would adopt new flags. Flags will draw on past heritage of the country and reinvent themselves. Sometimes, like in Canada's case, they'll create something unique and new to symbolize their nation. Considering the significant amount of turmoil and change that has happened in the world after the last century and a half, there's a lot of reason to create new flags, and there have been a lot of new countries organized. There's enough that I I frankly lost count. A lot of flags have come and gone. The Danbrog has been through it all. The oldest flags that come after are the Netherlands, which was adopted in 1660, though earlier versions were flown in 1409. Uh, In third then comes the flag of Nepal, which has been flown since 1743. Then comes the Union Jack, the flag of the United Kingdom in 1801. But let me take a moment here. The first American flag was flown in 1777. Isn't that older? And this is where things get tricky, because the above list is only based on the current flag still in use. That's what makes Denmark a bit of an outlier. If we go by the oldest design, Austria, actually, is the older of the two. But Austria's hasn't really been in continuous use. The American flag would jump up a lot, too. The current stars and stripes we know today were adopted in 1960. But the overall design comes in at 13th oldest amongst the world. If the Dannebrog is a flag that hasn't changed through the ages, then, I would argue that the United States flag is kind of its opposite in this regard. And that's going to be our focus today. The story of the flag that changes. Before we get to America, let's, let's go back to England. The Union Jack, which is the national flag of the United Kingdom, is a unique one, and it's arguably one of the most recognizable flags in the world. There's a lot of national flags that have the Union Jack in their canton. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the canton is the technical term for the upper corner closest to the flagpole, the little square where the United States stars go, you know. Such flags 
with the Union Jack in the Canton include uh, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, even Hawaii, and there's a good number of others as well. All those flags were adopted after 1801, after the Union Jack was adopted. But hang on. The British landed in Jamestown, Virginia in 1606, and the American War for Independence started in 1776. Didn't the British already have their flag back then? I mean, if you're, if you're American, don't we remember all the old paintings of those battles where the Redcoats are marching under the Union Jack? For most of us Americans, this is a bit of a trick question. The British flag has changed over the years, sort of like how the Stars and Stripes have changed. The Union Jack that we know today is not actually one flag. It's three. And as I mentioned before, it was adopted in 1801, a quarter of a century after the first shots were fired at Lexington and Concord. So what are the three flags and what was the difference in 76? Well, let's start with the flag of England, or the cross of St. George, the patron saint of England. It's a white flag with a red cross, and its history goes back nearly a millennia. And much like the Danbrog, this flag finds its roots in a crusade. Henry II of England and Philip II of France uh, put aside their conflict to go on crusade together in the Holy Land in 1188. Henry, however, died the next year, and so King Richard I of England, who preceded him, went ahead and followed through anyways with the crusade. So King Richard and King Philip uh, both picked up the cross, and just so we're clear, this is the King Richard most people know from Robin Hood, that King Richard. So just we're on the same page here. That's the King Richard we're talking about here. Uh, before his death, however, Henry, King Henry, agreed that he would use a white cross and Philip of France a red cross as their banners. That's kind of the opposite of what we're thinking, isn't it? It's, it's not really clear in history when England starts using the red cross instead, because uh, the French were using it at that point. So some, at least for this crusade, so some tradition holds that it was actually King Richard the Lionheart himself who adopted the cross and St. George as the patron saint of England during the crusade sometime. But we don't actually have any hard evidence that this is so. It's kind of just a tradition at this point. During the reign of King Edward, English soldiers were noted to distinguish themselves with the Red Crosses sometime in the 1270s, or perhaps even as early as 1265. By the time of King Edward III, after 1327 to 1377, the St. George Cross became more and more prominent as a national symbol for England. And now if you fast forward a few hundred years to 1603, Queen Elizabeth uh, then died and left the Kingdom of England to her cousin, King James VI of Scotland, who became known as King James I of England. Now, after a lot of strife in uniting the two independent kingdoms of Scotland and England, James subsequently in 1606 had the Scottish flag, which is blue with a white X or saltier, combined with the Red Cross of St. George. And this was known as the Union flag or the King's Jack or the British flag. And it's, this is the flag that was in use during the time of the American Revolutionary War. And joining those two kingdoms, there's a lot of history behind this. And it's, it's still kind of turbulent today. If you look at it, there's still some stuff going on. But this union of the crowns is when we see these flags combine into one. This flag also appears on the canton of the first American flag in 1776. 
which flag is also pretty much the same as the East India Company's flag. But more on that in just a bit. So fast forward to 1801, Ireland, which had only been in a personal union with the British, was officially joined with the British to make the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. And so they added the St. Patrick Cross, which is a white flag with a red saltier, to the Union Jack. So imagine three flags, okay? We have the flag of England, the flag of Scotland, and then the flag, or at least the flag of St. Patrick. So those three flags squished together into one, and you have the Union Jack that we know today. Now, eventually most of Ireland became its own independent country again, but as Northern Ireland remained with the rest of the UK, the red saltier of St. Patrick has just kind of remained on the Union Jack. And there was some speculation about what the Union Jack would look like should Scotland vote its independence and leave the United Kingdom back in 2013. And what about Wales, since it was considered a part of England already by the time of the Union of Crowns back in 1603? It simply fell under the St. George Cross that represented England. The debate about what would happen to the Union Jack should Scotland leave is messy. As American, I don't know how much I can really comment on it. It's not really my flag to pick and choose. But since Scotland decided against leaving the United Kingdom, the question hasn't really needed to be answered yet. Compare this to the flag that's changed consistently throughout the ages since its birth. The flag of the United States has changed probably more than any other flag in the world. But such debate about what should happen to it when a new state is added has had much, much less debate. A star for every state. It's a simple and elegant idea. Each state is represented, but it didn't start out that way. As I mentioned earlier, the, the first American flag used in 76, 1776 that is, was pretty much the flag used by the East India Company. That flag had anywhere from 9 to 13 stripes of red and white, and in the Canton, the Union Jack. Well, it started out with just the England flag, and then when England adopted their Union Jack with England and Scotland's flag combined, they put that in the Canton. And eventually, they would put in the next Union Jack, the, the one with Ireland's cross in it as well. But at this time, just the, the, the first Union Jack, if you will. The Americans probably used this flag for a number of reasons. First, being that it would be easy to convert the British red ensigns, which were red flags with the Union Jack in the Canton. These flags were flown by private merchant vessels from England, so they were pretty handy to have around because uh, flying the official colors on a ship meant you were a warship. There's a lot, of, a lot of history, a lot of things that go into this, but the flag that most civilians used if you were sailing was a red flag with the Union Jack in the Canton. So using this flag and then modifying it by adding white stripes of cloth would make it pretty easy to make your own new flag that would be distinguishable from the Union Jack. But the Continental Congress quickly decided on something a bit more unique. On June 14th, 1777, which is now, if you're American, is known as Flag Day, they passed the first Flagged Act. It's not very long. It reads as follows. Resolved that the flag of the 13 United States be 13 stripes, alternate red and white, that the Union be 13 stars, white in a blue field representing a new constellation. That, that's it. That's the whole thing. Seems pretty straightforward, right? I'd, I would wager that most Americans today would take those instructions 
and then recreate the so-called Betsy Ross flag with the stars in a little circle, you know? But imagine, imagine you've never seen that flag or any other American flag before. The instructions might leave you with a few questions. For example, how should the stars be arranged? How many points should the stars have? Do you have red stripes first or white stripes first? And in grade school, that was tough even as American growing up, like, well, crap, which ones do I put the red on? Do the red start on top or is it white? And when you put the, it's red, just in case you're wondering. The red stripes go on top and bottom, there's 13. Yeah, stars have five points. That, that's all been decided now, but back then, I mean, there's no, it's, that's all you had. You, you just gotta make it up. And so some of the other designs at that time had six pointed stars, which were in rows as was proposed by uh, Francis Hopkinson, who was a naval flag designer from New Jersey and also a signer of the Declaration of Independence. The story that Betsy Ross designed the flag with the stars in a circle is heavily disputed, actually. We know she was an upholsterer in Philadelphia, and that she did make uniforms, tents, and even flags for the Continental Army, but whether or not that she created that design is unknown. In the story that William J. Canby, Ross's grandson, told of her, the only real contribution that he really puts in there was that she cut the stars into with five shapes because it was easier to cut that way. And not that she put them in any particular design. That's kind of just come up in legend now. And even that, even that like contribution of just making the stars five points is disputed due to the lack of historical evidence. So flags in the early days of the United States were quite varied. And if you look them up, there's a couple of different designs and they're, they vary a lot because the instructions weren't very specific and it's not like they're mass producing these things. Most flags were made by hand. In fact, when some of the Continental soldiers received the instructions from Congress about the flag, they ripped up their own coats, grabbed sheets if they could, and they made their own, they, they handcrafted a flag. You don't really think of Continental Army as being an arts and crafts kind of gig, but I mean, people take pride in their flags. After the war was won, President Washington signed the Flag Act of 1794. And this one's a, a little bit longer, and it reads as follows. An act making an alteration in the flag of the United States, be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America, in Congress assembled, that from and after the first day of May, Anno Domini 1795, the flag of the United States be 15 stripes alternate red and white, that the Union be 15 stars, white in a blue field. Still a little bit vague, isn't it? But they at least kind of came to a consensus on this one. And this was the flag that was proposed after the mission of Vermont and Kentucky to the Union. This was also the only American flag that would have more than 13 stripes. If you caught that in there, this one didn't have 15. And this flag saw a number of years, too. It was the Star-Spangled Banner that Francis Scott Key witnessed was still there after the Battle of Baltimore in 1814. It remained the national flag for 23 years until July 4, 1818. Earlier that year in April, Congress passed the Flag Act of 1818, which set in place the current system for the American flag. One star for each state of the Union added. 13 stripes, red and white for the original 13 British colonies. When a state was added, the new flag would begin flying the following Independence Day. And that pretty much settled things. Of course, the placement of the stars is always debated each time a state is added, but overall the basics of the, of the design are set. 
I'm sure most Americans today are pretty familiar with our current uh, flag that was adopted in 1960 and the story of the guy who did it as a school project and then got a B minus and jokingly said with his teacher, the teacher's like, yeah, you know, if you, if it gets adopted by Congress, I'll adjust your grade. Apparently it, I mean, it was adopted by Congress and apparently the teacher held true to his word. But I mean, that's most people I think are familiar with that story today. But that's been an interesting theme throughout the United States. The only thing we have to debate is where do the stars go and in what order? At this point, it's pretty standard to have five points on our stars. It's just the order. Some people like putting in little circles. Usually, I think the general consensus is to try and keep them in rows because rows are just nice and pretty. But if you look at some of the flags in the 1800s and some of them are kind of messy because you have like a bunch of rows of five and like one row of four and it just kind of looks off and anyone today who's really likes their neat orderly things in a row would probably just be really frustrated with some of the flags we've had in the recent history. But I mean, most flags, the flags we had in World War II with 48 stars that, that stood for 48, 43 years. Um, that one was nine perfect neat rows. Our current flag today, they have alternating rows of five and six, I believe. And they're pretty well spread out, I would argue. But for anyone born in after 1960, it may feel like the United States flag has remained stagnant. The current flag with 50 stars is actually the longest in use. The other one, the second longest was the one with 48 stars, which was 43 years. But the current flag with 50 stars has been in use now for over 60 years. It's the flag that was flying when both my parents were born. Will the American flag change? Again, that is. Will a 51st star be put on there? This question's actually more political now than vexillological. In recent years, there have been talks of Puerto Rico becoming a state, and they're actually voting on a referendum this November. The House just passed a bill, actually, this year as well, that would make Washington, D.C. a state, which is the first time a chamber of the Congress has voted in favor of that. But it's not at all likely that the Senate will pass the legislation if they even get to voting on it. But every couple of years, things change. As different parties take different par uh, parts of the government, the votes can become available to admit new states should they wish to do so. I mean, certainly Washington, D.C. wants to, and the polling across several American territories shows there's some favorability among those becoming states as well one day. Growing up, I always thought that 50 states was just such a perfect number of states that there would never be any more added. 50 felt too clean, too perfect. Who would want to change the status quo? Well, frankly, with how crazy this year has been, adding a new star to old glory would probably be taken as one of the more tame things to happen. Perhaps next year, the American flag will prepare itself to evolve once more. It's, it's hard to say, but unlike the Dannenbrog, the United States flag isn't static, even if it feels like it. And I think a flag can say a lot about the place it represents. If the United States flag isn't static, then neither is the United States. Certainly, American history has shown that to be true. And if that isn't enough, just look at this year. Changes, change in one form or another seems inevitable. What that change will look like and how it'll take form, I, I can't say. But maybe that change will take place on our flag. After all, it's happened 28 times before. This has been Unfurled, the story of our flags. You can find more episodes of this show anywhere you get your podcasts. 
For more of my work, you can go to filmfanaticfan.com. This was a tough episode for me to cover. I ended up in a rabbit hole at one point about the history of the Third Crusade. Um, you should definitely dive into that if you're a history nerd like myself, because it is fascinating, let me tell you. Uh, but it, it was hard to decide how much to discuss this topic, because depending on where you were born and raised, you may know a lot or a little about what I had said already. But both Union Jack and Old Glory are both just such important flags, I felt I would have been remiss should I have omitted their histories from this podcast. But at any rate, next week's episode is going to be a much bigger one, and I'll have a special guest star with me to discuss American state flags and why so many of them are terrible. It'll be a good one, so don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because you won't want to miss it. Anyways, this has been Unfurled, and I'll see you next week.